was I basically modelled every 1v1 situation in the Premier League for like the past four years, like the one striker getting through 1v1 with the goalkeeper. And I basically looked at what the goalkeeper does and how that affects the likelihood of being a goal. So I don't know, if they're, on, if they're at a tight angle and a keeper comes and blocks, how likely they are to save it versus if the keeper stays on their line versus if they come and dive at the ball and try and grab it with their hands. Hello and welcome back to a new episode of the Club Sound Podcast. We're your host, Marcus Sundin, and alongside me is Alexander Brams, as always. Today, we are joined by a new guest, John Harrison. Welcome to the podcast. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to have you on, John. Today, we are going to talk a little bit about data within goalkeeping and how important it is nowadays to use data and all this kind of stuff but before we do so we want to introduce you a bit more to the listeners obviously the ones that doesn't know you already out there and we usually do so with a few fire questions and but in today i also want to make you do an intro afterwards but we start with the fire questions so we have four fire questions here on the podcast so if you're ready for it we'll just jump straight into it yeah i'm ready let's go awesome First of all, gloves on or gloves off? Gloves on. Favorite goalkeeper of all time? Ooh, uh, Casillas. Favorite goalkeeper you have played with? Ooh, uh, who should I go for? Kubar Safinski. He's okay. a guy. He's a guy who I played with at Cambridge Uni. Gotcha. Okay. So I don't think a lot of our listeners no. might know him, but fair enough. Um, and lastly, most important aspect within goalkeeping. Decision-making, encapsulate all decision-making, shot-stopping, coming for crosses, sweeping, choosing when to pass, just decision-making as a whole. Nice. Good answer. Good answer. I actually thought you would have said data, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to that. No, but um, John, can you uh, please in the beginning, just shortly tell the listeners out there who you are, a little bit about your background within goalkeeping and, and what you do as well now? Cool. Yeah. So my sort of journey in goalkeeping is a little bit weird. So I've always been a goalkeeper. I played in goal as a kid um, throughout the whole thing. And my sort of first passion in life was was science. So I ended up going to, when I finished my A-levels, which is what you do in, in high school in England, I then went to Cambridge University and obviously carried on playing football there, studied studied natural science, so did a lot of physics, astronomy, that sort of fun stuff. And I ended up doing a PhD there. And during my PhD, I decided that studying planets and stars and galaxies and all that sort of fun stuff, it was really interesting, but my, my, my passion was definitely football. And I wanted to see, well, what can... The, the, the sort of data and the sort of techniques and information I've got from my very scientific background offer goalkeeping. And while I was there, I remember playing for the, for the uni first team and thinking, hmm, why am I making the decisions I'm making? So I was coached by the professional coaches at Cambridge United, which is a, a League One club in Cambridge, in, in, in England, so the third tier of, of English football. And they'd often tell me, oh, yeah, we want you to try and do this or that and their reason was always well that's because what that's what that's what we've always done that's how we were taught 
Um, and goalkeeper coaches are very often just goalkeepers themselves who have either retired or um, stepped away from the game for some reason. So I thought, hmm, what sort of projects could I do to see are the things some goalkeeper coaches teach what, what we should do or is there other options that we could potentially look at? So I started basically doing freelance football data analysis during my PhD. And then to get to where we are today, I've published loads of it out on Twitter, ended writing a few articles, appearing on podcasts, going on YouTube videos, stuff like that. And now, basically, as of September, I've joined goalkeeper.com as the, the head data scientist, where we're going to basically try and revolutionize how data is used in football. And they're going to use a lot of the models I've already built, along with some new ones we'll, we'll, we'll custom build with those guys. And yeah, I guess the, the main aim would be to probably three areas, help scout goalkeepers um, for certain clubs to help um, goalkeepers improve themselves individually. So like performance and analysis of, the, of their own game and then to help kids in academies. So what sort of techniques and things do we need to be able to teach kids? How should we teach them? And then when should we tell them to use certain techniques? That's my sort of, yeah, my quick fire background of, of, of how I got into all this. No, yeah, interesting. You've you've done well. I mean, uh, I think we are moving in the right direction here because obviously data is very up to date, especially within how the whole game of football is evolving. And obviously that comes down to goalkeeping as well. And we obviously want to keep the main focus on goalkeeping, but talking about data nowadays within football, you see top clubs in the world and even I can only refer to the Danish league as well, would have data di uh, scientists as well. Um, a former coach of mine, he just signed with a, um, with a Danish club, being a head of data as well. And going to FC Copenhagen's games, I see three guys sitting up in the stands with the headphones and a computer, and they go down before half times, five minutes before, and they have all the data prepared. So the head coach come down, and they have lined everything up for him so he can see the data, see how many miles, kilometers they run, how many passes they completed, all this. But if we take it down to, to what we want to talk about today, data within goalkeeping, you broke it down to these three segments. So you, you mentioned scouting. You want to um, yeah. obviously do data within scouting, also within improvement and performance. And then lastly, you said, kids and academy so if we start from from an end within data within scouting why why is that important obviously you have data on how many games uh, a goalkeeper have played but if we take it down to like the nerdy stuff the very detailed stuff yeah. it's also obviously comes down to complete passes please passes in the right distribution in the right areas all this can you elaborate well, elaborate a little bit about how important it is within scouting. Yeah, so I think goalkeeping is much further behind most other places, at least when I've gone into clubs and, and chatted with the guys, they often, they're sort of worried about the data because at the moment, if you try to look up goalkeeping stats, you'd end up with, yeah, games played, clean sheets, goals conceded, total saves, maybe long passes, long pass completion, all that sort of stuff. And really, that doesn't actually help you because we all know we've played in goal you can make 10 saves and they could all be super easy and you, and you could keep a clean sheet. You could concede a goal and make two worldy saves. And it's very hard to see from just those raw numbers which goalkeepers had a better game. Um, 
because, for example, we don't know it's the goalkeeper, even though he's letting one goal, he's made two incredible saves. That's far better than just making 10 simple saves and keeping a clean sheet. So the, the first thing I'd say is goalkeeping is at the moment behind the, the other areas. And for scouting, this means it offers a huge, a sort of huge untapped resource that we could get into. And I think the way we're going in goalkeeping is to basically build probabilistic models so what that means is you can look at every single shot a keeper faces and evaluate on average how likely would a keeper in that league be to concede that shot. So the example I always give is a shot from the edge of the 18-yard box that's hit at like 30 miles an hour straight down the middle of the goal along the ground is going to go in like one in a thousand times. It might creep through the keeper's legs, but majority of the time that's an easy save for any keeper, whereas a shot in the six-yard box, rocketed into the top corner at 70 miles an hour, he's basically going to go in 99% of the time. And if you use these probabilistic models to build this based on the shot's location, the build-up, the, dis- uh, the, yeah, the, the distance it is from goal, the angle it is to goal, where it ends up, so is it top corner, down the middle, what's its shot velocity, all those sort of things. You can then, each shot gets characterised with an expected save probability, and then you can use that to judge a keeper. So you can look over a whole season have we got the keeper who's the best shot stopper? And then the sort of one layer above that is you can go, well, what sort of shots does my defence concede? So if I'm playing for Burnley and all we face is lots of long shots because we play deep and lots of crosses into the box and headers, can we get a goalkeeper who's really good at reflex headers and really good at long shots? Whereas if I'm Liverpool and I'm always on the counter-attack, there was some crazy stat, something like, I think it was 70% of the expected goals Alisson faced last year were from 1v1 situations. So for Liverpool, they don't actually care about a keeper being good at long shots or reflex headers. He just has to be good at one-on-ones. And if he is, that's perfect for them. So that's sort of how I think it's going in the, in the scouting world. It's going to be breaking it down into versus the average goalkeeper in this league. How is this player performing? And then once you've done that, it's then, well, we defend in a certain style. So we don't actually care. Like like for Liverpool, Alisson could be a really, really bad goalkeeper at certain types of shots if they never face that type of shot they don't care um they he just has to be a good goalkeeper at the type of shots they face yeah i I completely agree and i think it's a a very interesting approach as well because a previous episode here on the podcast we invited brad morgan on talking about data and goalkeeping as well he has his own company doing scouting in in data as well for for other teams he actually one of the main main jobs is really that clubs can reach out to to this brand and say we're looking for this goalkeeper provide their company with uh with all their data and they will exactly what you just said look at what kind of defensive goalkeeper they need in terms of if it's one we want like liverpool or burnley defending the they on a low block and they have to obviously have a uh, goalkeeper that's good in the air and and all this right so i think that's that's very important important as well and if we take it further to the second segment as well data performance it goes pretty much hand in hand right but if we then say let's for example uh, the importance of a team analyzing nowadays data in goalkeeping and until the next game they need to improve certain areas how important is that with data nowadays as well, not only within scouting, but also performance week after week. Yeah, no, uh, it's definitely super important. And I think it 
for me, it's something that helps with goalkeeper psychology. So I really enjoy doing it to myself when I play. And that's because you can imagine, I'll do a hypothetical situation of, let's say you face a 1v1 straight down the middle, you come flying out, spread yourself, and the guy curls it in the far corner. If after the game you can look back and say, well, according to the statistics, given the situation I faced, engaging and spreading was the best option that minimised the striker's chance. It means you go into the next game not worrying about it. And if the same situation happens, you do that thing. And I think one thing in goalkeeping I always struggled with as a child was after the game, if you make a save, you never dissect it. But if you concede a goal, you'll always sit there with your coach and your goalkeeper coach and you'll go over it and try and... And sometimes it was like, hmm, are we overthinking this? Did I do the right thing? And other times, maybe I made a save and I'm thinking it's fine, but actually next I got away with it. It was a bit lucky. I did the wrong thing, but just because I saved it, we didn't talk about it. And then next week, the same thing happens and I concede and then we talk about it. But actually it was a problem the week before. So yeah, for me, I think having these advanced statistical models really helps because it can let you know, should I have come for that cross? Because it will tell you what was the expected goals before you came versus after. And it can also tell you on average, let's say it's a cross that's 12 yards off your line. It will say, well, on average in the Premier League, let's say if we're talking about Premier League keeper, if a keeper tries to come for that, they'll actually miss it 50% of the time because it's very difficult to make up that ground. So it really helps your post-performance and, and basically looking at it and saying, ah, I probably made the wrong decision there. That was a very risky thing to rush out for. I should have stayed on my line. Or maybe it's, I stayed on my line for too long. The model's fine that if I stay on my line, I've completely killed myself because I can't get close to the ball and smother the shot or whatever it may be. So for me, yeah, it's a, it's a super useful thing. And especially now, the way golf is going with distribution, I think the sort of passing lanes that are open up and pausing the video and seeing, did I play the correct pass? It can really help in those sort of things, especially if you have all your team's data and all their, and all their uh, movement data and things like that with tracking. You can see, ah, oh, actually, there's an area of, of passing that I just don't see as a goalkeeper because all goalkeepers are different. And some keepers might straight away see the little clipped ball into the fullback, but they've missed the holding mids come deep for them to play it into feet. And that could have beaten the press. And if you can analyse that on a game by game basis, you can then say to your keeper, right, we'll do some training drills on it, but next time in a game, be aware that, I don't know, leads the striker, Bamford likes to press in this lane. Therefore, potentially when you get the ball, it's going to be the other lane that's open and we can we can play it into there and beat the press that way. Yeah, it's 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 super smart uh, with this, all this analysis. It's it's unbelievable. And, and the keepers are getting smarter and smarter and the difference in in preparation and and performance compared to the 90s or even the start 2000 it's it's crazy uh we see um we see everybody seeing it i think so like the water bottles with the penalties where are they shooting them that's that's one like an easy if you can say that like kind of easy way to to use data but then you have the all right iron robin 99 out of 100 times he cuts inside and he puts it in the far corner. How are we going to prepare for that for the game? So that's super interesting and and something that is only going to get crazy, I believe, and what I hear, hear from you. So talking about data within the, the, the academies, how are, you, how are you utilizing this? Yeah, so one of the sort of the sort of big project I think that I got most well known for, at least on at least on Twitter, and at least when I started first talking to clubs and getting invited into into clubs to give talks and stuff, was I basically modelled every one v one situation in the Premier League for like the past four years, like the one striker getting through one v one with a goalkeeper, and I basically looked at 
what the goalkeeper does and how that affects the likelihood of being a goal. So I don't know if they're on, if they're at a tight angle and a keeper comes and blocks, how likely they are to save it versus if the keeper stays on their line versus if they come and dive at the ball and try and grab it with their hands. And the fun thing that this allowed me to do, not only did it allow me to do player performance and say, uh, you might have seen on, on Sky Sports on Monday Night Football, my statistics got mentioned and because Jamie Carragher was using them to say Alisson saved over eight goals for Liverpool in 1v1 situations because he's an absolute monster at them. Mm-hmm. You can also look at, well, for the average Premier League keeper, what techniques should we be using where? Because a really interesting thing, especially in England, I'm not sure what it's like on the on the continent, but our c- coaches can be quite old school and they basically think you either... Uh, rush out and sort of engage the striker and just try and mirror their movement so just don't actually do anything premeditated just try and if they take it left you follow them if they take it right you follow them or you rush out and dive on the ball with hands and then a lot of goalkeepers were coming from Spain and Italy in particular and using the spread from futsal and the block from futsal and, and then also sometimes just waiting on their line and being like you're 15 yards out still. I don't care it's 1v1. I'm going to stay on my line. I don't think you can beat me from there. And if you take it closer, I'll then engage on your next touch. And so I wanted to know, and it was a big debate in English goalkeeper coaches, um, what techniques are best? And are, are any techniques best in a certain area? Are some just best overall? And what I found was really um, the smother is a really good technique. So that's like the diving at feet, the diving your body behind the ball. When the 1v1 is from a low cross, or from like a knockdown. So basically the keeper's a bit out of position. It's the best way to get your body behind the ball. And I found that the block technique, so going down on one knee, that little K shape, I think some people call it the K block, uh, was the best if it's a tight angle and it's after like a through ball or a dribble. So the goalkeeper's already in line with the ball, but it's a tight angle. And you basically do that because it stops you, the ball going through your legs. It stops the ball getting chipped over you because it'll hit you in the chest. And then I found found the sort of Manuel Neuer, Joe Hart spread technique with the big legs apart, arms wide, was the best when it was like a through ball or a dribble and it was in the centre of goal and you had the whole goal to fill. You've got to make yourself as big as possible. And then I guess, interestingly, I found that the wait and react strategy was best as long as the one week V1 was a, a basically around 14 yards away. So I think that's, yeah, about 14 metres. So the interesting part of my research was a lot of the time, goalkeepers, especially in England, some keepers are really good at not doing this. So I think Robert Sanchez, David De Gea, Vincente Gaita um, are really good at not doing this, but they're basically, and Alisson's also amazing at it. And that's just waiting on the line until they take that touch that gets them within about 14 metres. I often saw in the Premier League, a lot of goalkeepers, the ball's on the edge of the box for a 1v1, and they're already rushing out. And that just gifts simple finishers. I think a, a few that come to the top of my head are, are with Edison against Tottenham. He's done it about three or four times. He ends up about on the penalty spot when Son is still outside the box and Son just curls it past him. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really interesting for academy goalkeepers because now we have like all goalkeepers are different. They have different skill sets, different heights, different abilities. But the sort of basic principle of data can tell you that you probably shouldn't engage a 1v1 when it's outside of about 14 metres away from goal. Potentially, if you've got better reactions, maybe you can knock that down to like 13 metres. And if you've got slower reactions, maybe you have to engage a bit earlier and you push that up to 15 metres. But we have this basic blueprint of about 14 metres you don't want to engage. And then if it's wide, use the block. If it's central, use the spread. And if you've been forced out of position because of a flip down or a, a low cross, you want to use the smother. So I think this sort of thing of all the techniques that have been coached are good but they're only really, really good and optimal in certain situations. So 
in academies, can we try and use this data from the top flight to make sure that our next generation of goalkeepers in England or Spain or Italy or wherever we may be is basically sort of programmed to naturally want to do the optimum techniques at the optimum time because that will only make them as like the best they, they can possibly be. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's super interesting and and great work by you. Um, but when we look at um, these techniques, is it always like like this or is there certain of course there was, will be certain scenarios where where they don't work because of course they don't work 100 percent of the time because then it would be used yeah. all the time uh, and and as you said it's it's up to the different keeper and so on um but how are we are we gonna take the data and use it before the game to make the keeper prepared and then but then also looking at if it's salah or nunez or Firmino. Yeah, so I think, uh, firstly, the, the the useful thing about the data is it gets to tell you that, well, a block will save this 80% of the time, whereas diving at the feet will be like 60%. So you can see you don't, you're never going to change it to 100% of the time, but you can make the odds in your favour. And one thing I've realised from sort of going into clubs and talking to people, it's much easier to change young kids than it is to change a 30-year-old pro who's been doing it. Because in a split second, when you have to make this decision you're going to do what autopilot tells you to do. So that's why I sort of target the academy with that sort of research, because that's where you can get a real benefit. If you make, basically make a goalkeeper who's always making optimum decisions, he's going to be a hell of a keeper. And like Alisson last year, he got a few wrong. Like there was the West Ham goal where he engaged too soon, but there was four or five other chances where he got the decision spot on. So none of the keepers will make the optimum decision every time, but they will the best keepers will make an optimal decision more, more more than they won't. So if we can train kids to be looking at that, that's what's perfect. Going to the looking at the strikers, yeah, that's a perfect thing to to do. So you can see that Salah might do certain things in one v ones. So that might change how we want to behave against him versus what Darwin might do during during one v ones. We can definitely react to those players. But from my research, that I found actually targeting certain players. It, it doesn't change the output that much. It's always pretty similar of what techniques are optimal in which parts. The one thing I would add is certain keepers will, academies fine because you can train them and coach them to get the muscle memory to do the movements. But certain keepers, for example, struggle to do the spread. So if you've got a keeper who struggles to spread because of flexibility issues, past injuries, whatever, then there's no point trying to coach them to do the spread when this when there's a central 1v1 because they won't execute it properly so they won't get the extra 10% chance of saving it or 20% chance of saving it benefit you might as well be like okay what's the second optimal strategy from the data let's say it's the smother diving at feet let's make them do that because if they can execute that technique physically every time that's better than half executing something they can't really do so yeah to answer the question for for the top level pros it would be more about finding out what they can do and what is the optimal decision for them. Whereas for the kids, you you, you can target perfection with a, with the kid and uh, all, all the way up until them being a professional player. And you can hopefully try and yeah get them to be able to spread, be able to block. I think that's the first thing you'd, I'd be coaching kids once they get to a certain age. And that is, can you execute each of the goalkeeping techniques that you will need at some point during your career? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you're completely right that when they're young, of course, they need to learn technique, uh, handling and, and proper catching. But then, as you say, at a certain age, they need to learn this because uh, I was 
taught the Danish way, so I'm I'm really good at K block spread saves, but I've never really been taught diving into feet. Yeah. And now I'm I'm going to Italy to have an Italian coach, and you know it's all about attacco palla. So I have to be diving into feet, and I'm excited for this because there's a, been a few times where I've done it. Uh, recently was like one year ago. I made a penalty because I was too slow, or I did it at the wrong time. I should probably have gone up, closed the angle, waited. And trusted my reaction see what he was doing instead of diving into feet yeah. so I'm, I'm super excited to to go and and learn from these italian coaches because the italian technique and methodology is is unique in its way and excited for this and it it all comes down to what you mentioned what's the most important aspect of goalkeeping uh, which is decision making uh, so yeah that's also what what data is is backing up uh, a, a question that I've been thinking about because it's a huge part of my game uh communication and, and data with communication is that something you have worked around uh, yes yeah, so, so i think it's probably one of those areas that's very difficult so other than other than what data is easy to do for communication is inform goalkeepers and teach goalkeepers of where center backs need to be and where fullbacks need to be in certain situations i don't think we'll ever have a way of measuring the effectiveness of a single goalkeeper's communication because we we don't really we can see some body language but we can't really have the I guess it worked in COVID with the mics close to the pitch picking up the the noise but realistically we'll never know what goalkeepers are saying during games but what we can do is for the education side of the data is telling us that corners in these locations corners from the left side or whatever for this team are going to set up like this so you need to make sure there's a front post zonal man. And you need to make sure this player doesn't make this blindside run or whatever it may be. So it can definitely inform the goalkeepers. I don't think from a scouting perspective and a uh, performance analysis perspective, we'll be able to do much with communication. But from but from education, I think there's a lot that data can offer in terms of what are the most important areas of the pitch that need to be covered and what are the worst things you can see. For example, it might be against Liverpool, the way they play, if your centre-backs get too split and they're like, 30 yards apart from each other, you need to tell them straight away to cut the distance and make sure they're tight and compact and over at one side of the pitch or, or, or whatever it might be. So yeah, that's my that's my that's my sort of take on communication with data. Yeah, yeah, great, great point. And and I agree it's hard to it's hard to scout on. What uh, I, I typically say to 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 coaches is that just giving myself an as an example here, I, I often speak to my defenders and my midfielders in a way that hey all right maybe the center back doesn't say that there's a guy running in behind i tell him please cover left or not please i'm just saying yeah. left really quick yeah. and then if he cuts out that pass then i don't have to go out and make a decision what kind of one we want technique i have to use that is something that is that is massive and i remember um the uh, van dyke talking about Alisson being a loud communicator. I remember seeing a clip from Arsenal where Matty Ryan was playing, where he was so great with his technique, you know, his uh, communication and really helping out, like saying what to do. Uh, you know, sometimes defenders, they can be a bit loose. And when they get into the box, you can say like, hey, just body, body, no foul, whatever. Uh, don't make fouls um, out of the box. I often tell my defenders, okay, let's say they have a 1v1 and you're right behind him. Just don't kick him down. Don't get a red card. Trust me to close the angle down. Maybe I get yeah. him to go out to the side. Maybe I make a little 
save where I just touch a little bit and then I tell them just run behind me, go in, cover the goal, uh, trust me to try and make the save. Um, and then, yeah, it's better than than getting a red card penalty because then you're just, the team is just falling apart. Yeah, no, exactly. I literally, a lot of my communication sort of in that way, I sort of do before the game or in training sessions. So there's the communication you can do quickly on the pitch, like left shoulder, right shoulder, whatever, drop off, blah, blah, blah. But the communications like that before the game, I always say, just trust me. Uh, if I shout for it, let me make the mistake. Because one thing I, I, and then similarly for the 1v1, so, uh, but for crosses and through balls, if I shout for it, let me come and get it. Even if you think I'm not going to get there, let me do it. Because the worst thing is when we both go for it, we end up tackling each other and then the striker just runs in and scores. Like if I've called for it, I'll make the mistake. You can you can shout at me afterwards because I came and I shouldn't have and you could have easily cleared it. But the worst thing is if I shout, I do get there, but you get there too and we, and we clatter into each other. So yeah, I think there's a lot of communication before the game plus the mm -hmm. stuff that can happen quickly, split second during the game. Absolutely. And and with the with what you just said, like if, if I say I come for it, I tell my defenders, you know, just block the striker a little bit, yeah. like give him half out. a second. Get an arm out, yeah, an arm exactly. out block him a little bit, or just, just jump up and, and bump in a little bit. Don't make a stupid foul, but yeah. give me time and space. Give me extra help me out. Yeah. Or just go in behind. If I go for a cross out going on line and so if i lose the battle they might save it on the on the line exactly exactly and like yeah just get that body in the way and don't just let them have a clear run at me because like the ref might give a foul but there's no need to let a striker run 10 yards and just hammer me for for no reason if you just get across that can't happen yeah i, I again completely agree because i think it's a very interesting perspective on data as well and and when we look at how goalkeeping evolve and how data within goalkeeping evolve, I think that's something that's going to come more and more data on as well, communication, because obviously that's an important part of the position as well. And um, if you, for example, look at communication and you look back at how the goalkeeper communicated during the game, you could even look at how the defenders reacted on every single communication right so let's say you say man on the right shoulder and the defender reacted okay he saw it he helped his defender out but again if you just take another example you say man on you have a man behind you and the defender didn't react on that that's maybe where you can go back look at the data and say okay we might have to take a different approach on how you say man on and then you can yeah. really build from there right so i think that's even as important as a lot of the other stuff as well and if we take it even further i wanted to uh, talk a little bit about distribution as well because talking about the development of goalkeeping and how the game evolve in within our position i think distribution is the kind of topic that has evolved the most with rapid space uh, speed sorry because we see that, as I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, that the goalkeeper is the first line of attack. And correct me if I'm wrong, John, because I think 70, 80% of the goalkeeper's action during the game is with the feet. Either passes, long balls out to to the right back, left back, the winger, up to the, to the striker to hold on to it, where the last 20% is 
where you use your hands, all this. So looking at data from the past and looking at data now, wouldn't you agree with that distribution is, if not the most important aspect within goalkeeping, looking at the percentage? I would even yeah. say it's, it is, to be honest. Yeah, so de you're definitely right. Like 80%, that's, that number's about correct for the top five leagues these days. Of A goalkeeper's actions aren't coming for crosses, sweeping up, making saves. They're all just passes, distribution with feet. Um, the interesting part is, so I've got a, a, a fun model, and that's the model we're going to use at, at goalkeeper.com, which basically assigns a sort of goal probability value to every action a keeper does. So let's say you pull a shot out of the top corner, make an absolutely worldy save. If that shot only gets saved 20% of the time, you'd get plus 0.8 goals, obviously, because that's what you've overperformed by saving it. Similarly, if there was a through ball and you came flying out and sweeped it up, and that through ball would have resulted in a 1v1 with a 30% chance of being scored, and maybe only 50% of keepers sweep up that through ball, then you'll similarly get a, a, a positive of about plus 0.15 um, goals because you've prevented that 1v1 from happening. Similarly, for cross-catching, you'll also get numbers, but also, crucially, for distribution, you get the same. So every time the goalkeeper's got the ball in his hands, there'll be something like a one in a thousand chance that that results in a goal. But let's say you do what Ramsdale did uh, at the weekend and you zing a wonderful sidewinder up to Jesus. Jesus cuts inside and gets a 1v1. Then you've probably turned the goal probability. It's not one in a thousand anymore. When Jesus takes that down on his chest, one-on-one -on -one with the defender, that's suddenly probably about a 5% chance of a goal. So you'd increase the probability from one in a thousand to five percent, and then you can you can get that added on. And an interesting study I did basically looked at, like you said, what is the most important part of goalkeeping? Like what goalkeepers can get the biggest percentage increase from what parts? And no surprise, like shot stopping comes out on top. Like the keepers that can make big saves, that defines a match because one top corner save is worth like fifty really good passes, just because. Once the goal passes it, there's still a lot to do. Like maybe once or twice a season, a goalkeeper can put it over the top of everyone perfectly. So the guy's in one-on-one, -on -one, but it doesn't happen often. And, and rough percentage-wise, I think importance in, in the model I built was something like 60% shot-stopping, 30% coming for crosses, sweeping, handling. So what I call shot-preventing. So making sure a shot doesn't happen. And then 10% distribution, which I think if I did this study a while ago, that distribution number will be way lower than 10%. Um, and one thing I should say, that's for the average keeper. I think at Man City, because Edison's faces so few shots um, and far less crosses just because he, his team's in possession more, that distribution number is more like 20%. So, um, yeah, indeed, distribution's become far, far more important. And in fact, yeah, for some teams, so for Edison, 20% of his impact on Man City He's going to be with his, in terms of goals, he's going to be with his feet rather than making saves. Yeah, love all the details. And that's really what data is about. This is about going into details and improve the small details as well. Um, and another important and big aspect within goalkeeping is, is obviously gloves. Uh, whether or not you have data on gloves, I don't know, <laughs> or might have it in the future, but... and segment we have here on the podcast is always due to our name the gloves on podcast we always ask our listeners about favorite gloves and why so today john we want to ask you about as well you could even talk a little bit about if you have some information within data on gloves if there is or if there isn't can you talk us through a little bit about what's your favorite gloves and why 
Yeah, so at the moment now I don't really have any data on goalkeeper gloves. Of You could obviously do like which goalkeepers are performing best and what gloves they're wearing. But to be honest, mm. I think from my past experience anyway, once you get to a certain level of glove, they're all much of a muchness and it's just what you prefer. And given most top keepers now are changing them every two or three games anyway, it doesn't rip like they're all going to be super grippy and super useful and super good. It's just the fit that the goalkeeper likes that's, that's, that's the most important thing. Uh, in terms of favourite gloves, well, at the moment, I'm really enjoying the one sport gloves I'm wearing, which you can see behind me. They're like a nice, uh, nice negative cut that I like with like r- rollover thumbs and little finger. And they have the extra, extra, extra uh, latex on the wrist, which I like for, for scoop saves. Uh, in terms of like historic favourite gloves, uh, I used to, when I was a kid, I used to really like the, the Puma ones, Buffon wore. Um, I think they were like, I think they're called like the V construct or something. I really like this. Shea Given wore them as well. They were, they were really fun. And, and I also really liked the, the Adidas ones, the ones that, so I don't wear finger saves anymore, but as, as a kid, I used to. Um, and I really liked the ones Van der Sar wore. the like black with red finger saves in the, in, in the back. I think Oliver Kahn wore them as well. Uh, they were, they were, they were super nice. They were some of my favorites. Awesome. We'll we'll see in the future if uh, data arise within gloves as well, because obviously within, again, how the game evolves, I think every single team is looking for ways to improve. So if there is a, an area where they can even improve, they will look at every single option in order to do so. Um, yeah. But here, John, we're coming to the end of the podcast. It's been uh, a great chat. It's been a very detailed I would say one of the most detailed episodes so far, to be honest, even though we have done a hundred episodes, but uh, again, thank you so much for uh, taking your time today and sharing your, your knowledge with the listeners out there. No worries. Thank you very much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. And to you guys still listening out there, please go follow Gloves on Podcast on your favorite social media, leave a review and share this with one other goalkeeper for them to keep improving. Catch you on the next episode of Gloves on Podcast.